Hi, and welcome to Sisters Love Podcast. My name is Shelly. And my name is Shannon. We are sisters, and we talk about what we love to watch, love to learn, love to love, love to read. Well, you get the idea. Today, we're going to talk about wildcard movies. For this episode, we each selected three movies that we loved that the other had not yet seen and made them watch. Our reactions to each other's selections varied, but regardless of our opinions, we really enjoyed this process. This was an excuse to get each other to watch movies that the other perhaps wasn't necessarily excited about, but that we still wanted them to see. It was a lot of fun planning the episode and watching the films. I actually picked another movie, The Fall, as my first wildcard film, but we had trouble finding it in time for the episode, so I picked one of my all-time favorite films, The Conversation, as an alternate. The Conversation follows Gene Hackman as Harry Call, a private surveillance expert. He's hired by a man known only as the director to follow a couple, record their conversation, and take pictures of them. Haunted by memories of a previous job gone very, very wrong. I'm talking people literally lost their heads wrong. He starts to fear that the couple he surveilled has been targeted for murder. The film was directed by Francis Ford Coppola between filming The Godfathers Parts 1 and 2. Interestingly, it was nominated for Best Picture alongside the ultimate winner, The Godfather Part 2. It was a very good year for Coppola. In addition to Gene Hackman, the cast notably includes Robert Duvall and a young Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford is menacing as the director's assistant, and it's the only time I've ever really seen him play anything besides Smirky. In case you were wondering, he already had his famous chin scar, though. Unfortunately, I did not love this movie as you did. I was really excited to see it, too, since you and Paul had raved about it for ages. First, the movie was painfully slow. I understand a slow pace for dramatic effect and tension building, but in my opinion, it was too slow. So slow, I ceased to care what even happened. I just wanted them to get to the point. I did think that the ultimate reveal was clever. Yes, I understood what they were trying to accomplish by the slight changes in inflection of the conversation in question, but I don't think I thought it was as clever as the movie did. Ultimately, it took too long to get to the point and provided so much buildup that what could have been a gripping, pivotal moment in the film just fell flat for me. However, I do not think it was a bad film and can understand how someone else could have experienced it differently and loved it. This is one on which we're just going to have to agree to disagree. I find new things to enjoy about this film each time I watch it, so our listeners will need to watch it themselves to break the tie. The film ends with the director's assistant telling Harry that he knows Harry knows what really happened and proves it by playing audio from Harry's apartment from just moments before. 
Harry destroys his apartment trying to find Harry destroys his apartment trying to find the listening device to no avail and the last scene shows him playing his saxophone amid the rubble. I just had a hunch that I knew where the listening device was and surprisingly found support for my theory on Wikipedia. Harry Call was inspired by a real-life security expert, Martin Kaiser, who consulted on the film and divulged where the listening device was planted, confirming my theory. I think the fact that the great Harry Call didn't figure out its obvious hiding spot tells you a lot about the state of his mind by that point in the film. Harry Call is also the inspiration for Gene Hackman's character in the movie Enemy of the State, which includes a scene very similar to the opening surveillance scene in the conversation, and once again has Hackman donning the famous Claire raincoat. I'm also happy to report that we found copies of The Fall, so we'll get to discuss it in a future episode, and I feel confident you're going to like it. Next, we have Raw, which was my first selection for this episode. It is a French film released in 2016. We first learned of Raw when it was presented as a featured Alamo Drafthouse debut selection prior to our movie viewing in the theater. You know, when that was still a thing. I was immediately intrigued, and Shannon vowed never to watch it. It is the coming-of-age story for Justine, a freshman veterinary student. Justine has lived what seems to be a pretty sheltered life before she ventures off to college where both of her parents attended and her sister is currently a student. The school she attends has some pretty extreme hazing rituals for new students, which includes being fed raw rabbit kidneys. Given Justine's strict vegetarian upbringing, she at first refuses, but is convinced by her sister to participate to fit in. What follows is an all-consuming craving for flesh, including humans. I loved this movie because it was a unique take on the horror genre. It was filled with suspense, and the setting of the veterinary schools seemed to up that ante with every scene. For me, it was fascinating to watch Justine struggle with her identity crisis, what it means for who she is as a person, and the boundaries that exist or don't exist in her new reality. While I agree this movie is technically good and that it's well-made and interesting, I should have stuck with my initial vow not to see it. Body horror, of which this movie is filled, is tough for me. Despite my admitted uncharacteristic love for David Cronenberg's The Fly. I spent the movie filled with so much dread, it was not an enjoyable experience. I should add that my anxiety was not misplaced, and the terrible thing I was usually freaked out about happening often did. That said, you have to appreciate the skill of a movie that can make you itch just by watching a character itch. While I am sorry you did not enjoy it, I understand that this type of thriller is not for everyone. My next selection is Spy, the 2015 Paul Feig movie starring Melissa McCarthy, Jude Law, Jason Statham, and Rose Byrne. McCarthy plays CIA employee Susan Cooper, who is a desk agent paired with Jude Law's field agent, Bradley Fine. Cooper ends up in the field when the identities of all the field agents are compromised. She turns out to be extremely capable and very funny. But my favorite character is Rose Byrne's Raina. 
She's a delight as the daughter of an arms dealer who is trying to sell a stolen nuclear weapon. She compares Cooper to a sad Bulgarian clown, and Cooper calls her a slutty dolphin trainer because of her crazy outfit. They have quite the repartee, and their relationship is the heart of the film, in my opinion. I knew there was a high likelihood you wouldn't like this film, but I was unexpectedly delighted by it, so I took a chance. Based on our conversations, it sounds like I should have gone with my first instinct. So, I feel I need to explain that it is very uncommon for me to like comedy movies that are intended to be nothing but comedy. My usual enjoyment of comedy tends to come from movies that are not strictly comedies, but have a comical element. In general, my amusement comes from dialogue, usually of the snarky, sarcastic variety. To be clear, I do not consider this inability to embrace comedy movies as a strength. I enjoy being amused, and I wish it happened more often. That said, I did not love this film. If it were not for this episode, I would have never watched it. And if I had, I would have turned it off after the first scene prior to the opening credits. There were some enjoyable moments in the film that made me smile, but there were not enough of those to make it an overall enjoyable experience. That's fair. I knew it was a risk when I selected it for the episode. My next selection was Jumanji, released in 1995. After learning in our previous episode on time travel movies that Shannon had not seen the original Jumanji, I had to include it as one of my selections for this episode. It follows the adventures of Alan Parrish, played by Robin Williams, Sarah Whittle, played by Bonnie Hunt, Judy Shepard, played by Kirsten Dunst, and Peter Shepard, played by Bradley Pierce, as they struggle to finish a game of Jumanji and put all of the chaos unleashed by the game back in order. For those of you unfamiliar, in the original movie, Jumanji is a board game, and as you play, you must deal with the real-life threats sprung from the jungle hidden inside the game. The only way to put the dangers back where they belong is to finish, but with having to dodge bullets, escape tigers, and survive monsoons, that is easier said than done. I love this movie because it was just so much fun. Given its age, I think the CGI has held up surprisingly well, and Robin Williams is an absolute joy, as always. First, I admit that I was inclined to like this movie because of my deep and abiding love of Robin Williams. That said, I was skeptical of it, A, because of its age, and B, because I'd only recently seen and was surprised to enjoy the first of the rebooted Jumanji films, which I knew was quite different from this one. I'm pleased to report that I enjoyed the original Jumanji very much. I don't think it's necessarily one of Robin Williams' greatest films, but it was so sweet and enjoyable. I agree with you, the special effects held up surprisingly well for a film made before CGI was rock solid. Overall, I think this film was an excellent choice. Now having seen it, do you understand my correlation between Van Pelt from Jumanji and Roy from the movie Palm Springs that we watched in our time travel movies episode? I do! That is an excellent observation. And I'm not sure I would have put the two together, but I totally agree. And I even think it may have been intentional. My final wildcard selection is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. 
released in 2018, the film is the, released in 2018, the film was the very deserving recipient of the Oscar for Best Animated Feature. The story follows Miles Morales, a student, as he gets bitten by a radioactive spider and becomes, you guessed it, Spider-Man. Except if you think you can predict the plot, you aren't giving this movie enough credit. Other versions of Spider-Man from other dimensions end up trapped in this one, and they have to team up to get everybody back to the proper dimension and save the world. In addition to Miles, there are two Peter Parkers, Gwen Stacy, Spider-Man Noir, Penny Parker, an animated Spider-Man from the future, and Spider-Ham, a pig. It shouldn't work, but it does. I think this movie is just about perfect. Sony apparently hired nearly 140 animators, and it shows. But it isn't just the animation that's great. The script is also clever and touching. I am so happy to say that I loved this movie. I was very skeptical, too. You had been trying to get me to watch this for ages, and I was reluctant, to say the least. The description of the movie just didn't sound appealing to me at all. I have been burned out on superhero movies for a while, and with Spider-Man in particular. All of the reboots have been exhausting, and I stopped watching any of them long ago. I was extremely relieved when I discovered that this was at least as good as you told me it would be, probably more. It is excellently rendered, written, and composed. There was nothing about this movie that I did not love, and I laughed out loud more than once. The story and its message were so amazing. I just love, love, loved it. I am so glad you loved it. And I have to admit, I'm a little surprised. I knew I was out on a limb with the selection. I was with you about being over superhero movies generally and Spider-Man movies in particular. This is just a great movie. Genre aside, I'm very happy to report a sequel is planned for 2022, and I will definitely be there for it. They've set the bar really high, though, so it does make me a little nervous. I love the message about the universality of heroism. As Miles says at the end of the film, anyone can wear the mask. You could wear the mask. If you didn't know that before, I hope you do now. My last selection for this episode was Possession, released in 2002. It follows Maude Bailey, played by Gwyneth Paltrow, and Roland Mitchell, played by Aaron Eckhart, as they uncover and trace correspondence between deceased authors Randolph Henry Ashe, played by Jeremy Northam, and Christabel Lamott, played by Jennifer L. Maude and Roland soon discover a never-before-known love affair between the married Ashe and queer Lamott. They are caught up in a chase of finding missing letters and hidden locations of rendezvous before a greedy English historian steals the breakthrough from under them. I love this movie because it was a fun mix of a treasure hunt, the protagonist outwitting their pursuers, and a love story, both old and new. This was one of those movies I always intended to watch and just frankly forgot about. I enjoyed it very much. I thought it was interesting that both female leads were Americans playing British characters. Although I admit that I'm no expert, I thought they had very convincing accents. 
This is an extremely romantic film. And Paltrow makes a convincing romantic lead out of Aaron Eckhart, which is a feat since that's not usually his niche. A very minor quibble I have is that I felt the entire impetus for the plot that Eckhart felt that Eckhart found previously undiscovered correspondence in just a few minutes when scholars hadn't found it after decades of study. Pretty absurd. That said, the beautiful settings and the touching love stories made it easy for me to set that aside. I know you said you watch this movie somewhat frequently, and I can absolutely see why. For our last selection, we chose a movie neither of us had seen. Portrait of a Lady on Fire, a French film released in 2019. It follows Marianne, a painter hired by a countess to paint a portrait of her daughter, Eloise, that will be sent to Milan to confirm her engagement. Marianne must study Eloise in secret since she refuses to sit for a portrait in protest for a marriage she did not choose. As they spend time together, they form a relationship that will impact them for the rest of their lives. I absolutely loved this movie. It is a beautiful story that just broke my heart. Given that it was set in the 18th century, I didn't expect it to end happily, but the ending was bittersweet. It reminded me that just because an experience does not last forever does not mean it wasn't worth it. This movie is exquisite on so many levels. First, every scene looks like a painting. The performances are astonishing, especially as you first watch Marianne and Eloise communicate their feelings with the smallest of gestures. The last scene is one of the most beautiful and perfect I've ever seen on film. I won't spoil it here, but I will say to watch this gorgeous, heartbreaking movie. As Paul said, I would tell people not to see this movie unless they want to feel all the feelings. I think that's very well said. We hoped you enjoyed our episode. Please join us next week when we discuss gambling movies, including Rounders, Molly's Game, and Croupier, in case you want to watch before you listen. We love suggestions, so don't hesitate to let us know if you have ideas for future episodes. Email us at contact at sistersLovePodcast.com. If you're enjoying our podcast, please do us a huge favor and give us a five-star review on iTunes. It really helps people find the show. The Sisters Love Podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode was written, edited, and produced by Shelley Clark and Shannon Kelly. That's, That's us. us. Music by Sean Mullins. We can't wait to talk to you next time. Until then, keep finding things you love especially each other.